it's not true. I'm not a freak. I'm not. I'm not! I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. And transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, Worm-headed sack of monkeys! Matt, Matt, Matt. And now, together by live simulation via the internets, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah! No, blah, blah, blah! Hello, I'm Chris Honeywell, and you're listening to Two True Freaks. Um, this episode is just a continuation of a conversation myself, Scott Gardner, and Eric Peterson have been having about modern-day Superman, and we'll get started right where we left off last month. All right, we're back, and uh, we're still, uh, I would say, arguing about Superman because you guys seem to be in, in kind of agreement, and me, I'm just ignorant on the whole subject, but I'm going to... Yes, you are ignorant. ...my two cents <laughs> en- anyway. Um... Yeah. So so, where where were we at? Well, I was uh, I was we... going off a full tilt, and I think it's time to let our guest speak. So uh, so we'll let Eric give his give his thoughts on uh, Jeff Johns and Superman and uh, all the current goings on. Well, I guess somewhere in the forefront, I had alluded to um, having a second point about Johns and Superman. Now, um, as far as the tie into the the movie aspect. The, the one thing, you know, and I know a lot of people don't like to bring in the, the real world behind the scenes into the storytelling, but, I mean, are you aware of Jeff John's origins as a creator and where he came from? He was, wasn't he, he was something to do with, uh, with Donner. He's like an understudy to Donner. Yeah, something yeah he like was that. one of Donner's assistants. So, you know, he's pretty well steeped in the mind of, of Donner, you, you know, and been able to be in a comic geek that he was, Jeff John's was, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that was like an ultimate geek job. Oh, here's the guy who made the Superman movie. Now, and, and I believe we do agree on this. Superman is still to this day, I think, my favorite comic book movie. Mm-hmm. O- Damn overall, straight. yeah, overall, it's I my mean, favorite. It's flat out my favorite movie. I, I, mean, I, I still put. I mean, personally, me, Rage of the Lost Ark above that. But, but I mean, absolutely for me, comic book movies. Yeah, I mean, it's just. I think it's just it's a beautiful, well paced. Everybody goes oh, it's slow. Yeah, well, it's not. You know, it has my... a sense of majesty that, that sure. I can't think of any other comic book character that that can hold a candle to that. I mean, possibly maybe somebody well, it's like Superman. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It's Superman. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. It's it's, it's it's a it's a myth in its in its own. It's it's mm-hmm. a full blown mythos in its own right that I don't think. I can't think of another character that I think could could ha- have that level of 
I hate to say pretentiousness, but it is right. a, a kind of pretentiousness. Maybe, maybe a true mythological right. character like, say, Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel, if he was done in a certain mythological kind of. But I mean, well, there's a there's a pretense to the story. Exactly, but it's, not a, it's not a pretentious character. Right. I mean, right. if you want to use <laughs> mythology, you know, the you know, like someone like Hercules is was a classically, you know, hey, I'm the son of a god, and look how special I am. Right. Well, I mean, that's the thing about the Superman origin is the Kents, and this is one of the things, going back to Byrne, that I loved what he did. He kept the Kents alive mm-hmm. and really hammered home that, you know, you can have all the, you know, freaking power in the world, but unless you have a decent upbringing and, you know, just a good basis yeah. of being a good person. You gotta have heart, or however yeah, exactly. that, that song goes. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know... And, and, at the, and, and at the bottom line, he's Mama Kent's little boy. Yeah. Precisely. You know? So, and I mean, I think they did a good job of building up, and yeah, you know, we can forgive the fact that, yes, there's these alien influences, and, you know, he's the son of the, you know, this pretentious scientist, but it never went beyond... He was just a good person, and he just pulled, because of his influences, was able to pull from the best and become the best kind of person that he could be. Or human, you know, he's one of the most human characters, you know, like Spock. The most yes. human <laughs> person. Um, but so, but with Johns, yeah, so he was, you know, Donner's assistant, I'm sure, had many long conversations about Superman and and brought that in and I, I just have to see when you know when I'm reading and seeing these elements coming into it I, I just it's like oh I'm, I'm gonna do my old boss proud I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna show him and I mean they even had him in as a co-writer for a while the whole you know last son of Krypton thing and I am so glad that they got him off because frankly I mean what is Dick Donner's qualifications to be, and not just a Superman writer, but a but a comic book writer. Honestly, I mean, he did one and ostensibly two comic book movies. I mean, what are his other qualifications? You know, I mean, like, with, what, with all apologies to Dick Donner, you know, and, and like I said, my preface being, it is my favorite movie. Uh, he's got zero credentials to write Superman. I mean. Sure. Well, as great as that movie was and everything, I mean, his info is 30 years out of date. Exactly. You know? I mean, he's not up on, I'm assuming anyway, you know, uh, he's not up on the current goings no. of of the character. And that's really, that's my bitch is they're, they're half-ass hitting the reset button mm-hmm. to, you know... About 1978, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of scary and weird. Yeah, well, and then that's one of my and many thousands of gripes about uh, <laughs> Superman Returns, which I thought was just a god-awful movie. Thank um, you. Yes, I mean, it was. It, you know, that, aside from the elements that Brian Singer brought into it, it was just a big, sloppy, wet kiss towards the Donner films. And... It's great, you know. I, I, Without I love, being as good. Well, no, that's the thing. Good, yeah. It's like, okay, they're great movies, so make your own great movie. You know, don't... Yeah. And and uh, you mentioned King Kong when we were talking um, off off mic earlier. The, and the Peter Jackson one, it's the same kind of thing. Peter Jackson 
when he was making King Kong, he wanted to make, you know, King Kong was a movie, the original, that got him into making films. It was the movie that gave him the sense of wonder to make films. And he wanted future generations to experience that. But my. Yeah, did he not understand what. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is, my thought was, okay, well, you kind of did that with the Lord of the Rings movies. There's a lot of people who, who now love the genre and love stuff. Yes. You know, whatever your opinions of the movies are, there's a lot of people who love those movies and a lot of young people. So why do you have to remake the movie? You know, it's like, it's not going to serve the purpose. Well, it's the same thing with Superman Returns. It didn't serve the purpose to reinvigorate right. Superman in the film genre it just was a muddled weird throwback creepy movie and mm -hmm. you know listening to your guys film score episode you, you mentioned the superman score of you know for the donner film which yes absolutely phenomenal score phenomenal score oh yes and one of my things for people who oh i, I really like superman returns one of my challenges to them was okay Get it out of get the opening credits of it out of your head. Yeah. Don't you know every basically if as an editor on that movie, it seems like every time they thought, Oh, we're probably gonna be losing the audience, let's put in Dun -dun. the Superman theme. You know, because you could have a black screen. It a button. Yeah, you could have a two hour black screen and be playing the Superman score and everybody who's seen those movies are reliving those movies in your head. Right. You know, it's a, it's a pure emotional button push. So when you put that over a crap film, you know, then it's like, uh, okay, well, I see that, you know, suddenly people are like, oh, I love this movie. Well, no, I love the original one and it made me remember it because they played the music. So I know I'm digressing, but back to the job. No, not at all. No, I think yeah. you mixed uh, I walked away point. from it. <laughs> yeah, I walked away from it going, man, I love the opening credits, and I love the scene where the plane crashed, almost crashed, you know, where he averted the plane crash, and that was about it. I I, I thought Kevin Spacey did kind of an amusing, um, you know, version of, mm -hmm. of Luther, you know, but he was just, he wasn't creating his own Luther. No. Was, so it was. It was seeing. It was. It was. Yeah. It was a sort of this. Um, and I mean, Lois was just as dumb as bricks. Yeah. You know? I think that that movie did do two things very successfully, though. I, I will defend. Where was Otis? Uh, what's that? Where was Otis? <laughs> well, I mean, it gave me as a film score collector. It gave me more Superman music that I, I mean, it, it expanded on Williams, you know, so that, uh -huh. that's never a bad thing. You know, I mean, even Superman four, love it, hate mm -hmm. it, indifferent to it, whatever. Now that that score is finally released, I'll tell you, that's a damn good score. Movie's not so hot, but it's a great score because it, it, it's another reimagining of the classic Williams score. And that's what works for me. So we got more Superman music. That's never a bad thing. The other thing that it did do incredibly well was the only part of that movie I ever dig out and watch ever is the sequence from when the, the rockets fire on the space shuttle till Superman actually sets the plane down in the right. stadium. That entire sequence is just about perfect. I mean, they, they nailed the character for five minutes, you know? And that reaffirmed that really that makes it suck even more when you see that it could 
didn't have to be like right. That. But I mean, but it, what it did successfully though was that it it reaffirmed the fact of he can awe you. Mm-hmm. You know that that character still has screen potential. For those five minutes, you are sucked in, and you know you you know like the classic tagline: "You believe a man can fly." Well, not only do you believe a man can fly, you believe a man can wrestle with the physics of stopping a fucking airplane from flying. Yeah, and it was I bought it. I mean, it was believable, it was enjoyable, and it, just listening to that piece of music gets my blood going. I mean, it was just a great sequence. Too bad the rest of the movie pretty much sucked, but that that part was at least worth the price of admission. It, it did work for, for those five minutes. Well, now prove well, it. Oh, go ahead, Chris. I, I just found out today that, um, you know, and I was wondering, I was thinking a lot about this today after I read this, is Michael Bay has a whole production company that's basically just dedicated to doing remakes mm-hmm. and they're trying to fit you know they're always buying up the rights and trying to figure out you know what movies they want to remake in. and I found that out because I guess they just recently passed on doing uh, a remake of Near Dark yeah it's been primarily and, horror movies I think that he's been doing because it... yeah and uh, they decided not to do it because of A um, Twilight and, and B, they thought, and he said something like, "Well, you know, it was such a good movie. It was so perfect as it was, you know, that we couldn't think of any way to improve upon it or something." And I'm like, "Well, Jesus, that hasn't stopped." Yeah, you. anything they else. Yeah. Anything used that past, approach with uh, the day the earth stood still, but I digress. <laughs> but I was thinking about it today, and it's like I think there's this attitude amongst the youngsters and the current, even people our age that are just sort of more pop culture. That they don't really care if a movie's good. A movie is something to eat up the time, mm-hmm. and and like some people like horror. Some people like if you're on a date, you go to a date movie. If it's a bunch of guys, you go to a, a rowdy comedy or a horror movie, or you know, or you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if a movie's good or bad. I can tell by like garage sailing and seeing people seeing the movies that people buy mm-hmm. you know that are absolute pieces of crap and they went out and bought this movie on DVD and watched it you know and they and they probably were like yeah that was pretty good yeah, you know so so they want to see a remake of something because it's up to date you know right. it's not there the people are wearing the right clothes and using the right jargon it's it's really sad and and so all these movies that are being remade just because for some reason they were a good movie that's that's reminded people you know that's lasted long enough to either you know I mean they I guess they're um, also doing uh, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, for Christ's sake! Yeah, I know. So they're remaking a Roman Polanski movie. That's yeah. Uh, why mm-hmm. and and. And people will probably, and it's like the day the day the Earth stood still. It, it you know what? It was really good to see the critics just. I wouldn't say it tanked, but it didn't do too well, and the critics hated it, and it just sort of sank away. But probably not enough to discourage. Oh no, it, it made some money, and I'm sure the video sales. But see, that's the problem, though, is that at what point did we get in the movie making industry in this country where 
I mean, granted, it's always well, been it's about, always been like it's that. always been about this, making money. However, that's yeah, a business. It, it, well, yeah, I mean, it's always been a business, but still, you had to. Yeah, you can you, you can had, find almost any horror movie. But you can watch like the old Dark House. Mm-hmm. That the one called the old Dark House was made like seventeen times. You know. Or Frankenstein, you know, everybody wants to keep updating it and stuff. Right, but I mean, you know, we used to have directors, and I would argue maybe even entire studios, that were based around the premise of we want to make art, or we want to make right. at least good movie, maybe not art, but good movie. We want to entertain. Mm-hmm. Now it's all about we need to just get asses in the seats for two weeks. Well, yeah. You know, and beyond that, if if five years because from now this different movie now is because so fucking dated that people can't stand, movies aren't we the don't... only game in town like they used to be. They used to be the only game in town. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to see that movie on a big screen, you saw it when it was playing there. Yep. If you wanted to see that movie, period, you had to see oh, yeah. it when it was on t- or wait till it came on TV or whatever. And that's and even with video, you know, video is still kind of you know as times got has gone on, it's become less and less of a pain in the ass to see a movie and then there was the I remember how long it took for Star Wars to go on HBO oh, it was yeah. a major production was, when Star Wars was on HBO well how many what they and re-released it in theaters months. like three four times right right and now it's like months between mm-hmm. any movie that comes out and when you can get it on DVD there's really you know there's just no there's no there, there's not that feeling of being rushed or like yeah, you, you know you don't have to you don't have to choose as carefully well there's nothing special if, about going to the theaters anymore for movies and the studios aren't really cranking out anything special oh you see I you know I think stuff like IMAX and the 3d but I think people will still always go to the because the thing about the the thing about movies until they they change something that well there's one thing that's that's never going to change is it's that communal of having a big group you know it's it's and it's um the it's the when you get right down to it it's the cold mathematics of the frame flash rate mm-hmm. of between 24 frames per second and 30 frames per second on video which is more like brings more of a hypnotic state whereas in a movie theater you're going more into the it puts you more in a dream state so you have the communal dream of all the people there so i don't think that'll go away i think people always want to experience that they want to they want to go to a, into a movie where everybody's gonna gonna be laughing or scared at the same time and you get that that crowd reaction people always like that they just don't know how to behave <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Talking the on their theater. cell phone. Yeah, but, but they, they still want it, you know. They still want it, and they still crave it. So I don't think that's going away. I think I think the entertainment, I think with the way the economy is going, and if we actually do have a depression, the entertainment industry is going to have a nice little, an interesting little injection of... Uh, 
popularity. Well, it'll certainly be interesting to Any see. Any escapism. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because obviously during the Depression, I mean, films were a huge outlet for people. Films, yeah. films and comics, go figure. Well, it makes, then, it, it makes it a nice time for the comic book movie to be popular because mm-hmm. people need yeah. that extra escapism. Yeah. So it's escapism, yeah. You know, we actually might end up benefiting on that aspect from a, a weakened economy. So, right. you know, for, 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 for people like us, it might actually be something of a boon. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but getting back uh, to, to Superman, one yeah. thing I wanted to ask you yeah. about... Um, what did you think about the uh, the Chris Kent thing that was uh, going on and then was just abruptly abandoned? <laughs> feels like what do you what did you think about that? Well, let me if you don't mind, I'll have one brief point about the plane sequence and oh sure okay just to prove that I'm a you know a more cantankerous fart than either of you guys. There there was one thing in that sequence that made me not be able to enjoy the sequence as a whole and. Because I was just laughing. Because the minute I recognized it, I just had to like laugh, and it totally threw me out of the whole sequence. Was the, you know, for all the heroics that Superman was doing rescuing that plane, it was the incredible, indestructible Lois Lane. <laughs> because because if you between each scene, every time they flashed into the cabin, everybody's all strapped in, and she's getting like beverage carts slammed into her, and she's hitting the top of the of the plane and she's just being thrown around this whole freaking plane and she didn't have a scratch on her when they landed and i'm just <laughs> yeah i'm just because i'm just laughing at all the damage she's taking and it's like watching bruce campbell in like the evil dead movies she's just taking so much shit and then she comes out of it with like oh i'm okay my hair's a little messed up i'm thinking the woman should be dead so <laughs> so yeah I, that took me out of the sequence a little bit but but uh yeah i mean that's Again, but from the movie, there's something where they uh, let's bring Richard Donner in to co-write the the Superman comic with um, you know with Jeff Johns, and the first thing they do is introduce a kid. Well, that was one of the worst things they could have introduced in the movie, and and yes, that was kind of one of my initial gripes is like okay well we're gonna start oh suddenly the fortress of solitude in the comics looks like the movie and oh look now the uniform they actually had even changed it a little bit in the you know in the comic and oh now there's a kid well it's not really his kid but it is his kid and i you know as much as i really do like the family dynamics in so much as like lois and, and clark living together and and just the way they interact, you know, and the kind of the, the soap opera-ish nature between them. And I'm not talking like Smallville soap opera. You know, I think you know what I'm saying. Like right. for years mm-hmm. and years. Just the realistic aspects of their relationships. I just saw no point in having the kid in there. and I, But like you said, then they dropped it. Well, I don't, I mean, what do you think? Do you think they dropped it because John's realized that the annual, which was the final part of the story, was going to be a year late or do you think they dropped it because he had some intention of just kind of introducing it to be like a synergy with the movie and then and then just kind of go back to another standard i wish i i don't know what to think and i i wish i could get inside his head or he'd release an interview or something i i'd love to know what the hell was going on with that because my initial gut reaction when the boy was introduced was this is all just riding the coattails of the film 
You know, they, they introduced Lois's son in the film. I hated it in the movie. I thought oh, yeah. it was awful. The math doesn't work. <laughs> and the fact that she It got, does if she's a slut. Well, I mean, she got the no. kiss of forget. I'm going to get really geeky for a minute because <laughs> there's a lot of little nitpicky things that, that ruin that. Beyond the fact that it's just not a good movie. Right. Even if I tried to like it, the, the anal retentive continuity wonk in me... It just drives me crazy because, all right, at the end of Superman 2, she gets the kiss of forgetfulness, right? So her brain is reset to, like, about the time that Superman saved her from the Eiffel Tower bomb, right? right. So, all right, so she gets pregnant with Superman's child. He takes off for Krypton. She has this baby. To her, this baby comes out of fucking nowhere. How did she get pregnant by Superman? So Mm -hmm. in her mind, she must have got, like, speed raped by Superman or something, you know? She she would have literally no idea where the fuck this baby came from, right? Mm -hmm. She knows it's not Richard's. She does know, we, we're led to believe through innuendo or whatever, that she does know that it's Superman's baby. Yep. But how did, where does the baby come from? Exactly. Don't even get me started on the, on the uh, Fortress of Solitude, because whether you want to count it or not, in my, in my opinion, when it comes to movies, if shit got filmed and wound up somewhere, even if it's on a deleted scene on the DVD, if the shit got filmed, it's continuity. Mm-hmm. All right, with Superman 2, with the international cut that ended up being televised in a good portion of the world, the Fortress of Solitude was destroyed. Superman right. destroyed it with his heat vision. Where the hell does this fortress come from that's in Superman Returns? It, it can't be the same one. So I don't know. There's a lot of yeah. weird little shit like that. But anyway, going with Chris Kent. So, yeah, my, my when I first started... I didn't like it. I thought, all right, this is just a tag along with the movie. This isn't going to go anywhere. The kid's going to disappear or something will happen. But then the story, you know, after the whole Zod thing and all that, you know, before the annual finally showed up, you know, we really got to know this this child. And, you know, Lois and Clark adopted him. Basi- I mean, he basically became their adopted son. Sure. And over the course of the stories that started to come out, you know, where he and Clark really started to bond and all that, I came to really like that kid. Hmm. And I, I came to really feel like, you know what, for the first time since Lois and Clark got married, I actually felt like this felt like real progress in the title. As far as, you know, comics, I mean, we've all pretty much accepted that that our standard, you know superhero comics, you know, our Superman, our Spider-Man, whatever, we're pretty much stuck in the middle of the story and we're never going to get to the end. You sure. know, we, we all kind of silently acknowledge that fact. We get the illusion of change, but we we all know that we're never going to see Superman grow old and die or, you know, whatever. But this was that, that next tiny little step forward was, okay, it took him 50 years to get married. Now they finally have a child. So it was that next little bit of progress. And, you know, there was even an issue. I can't remember what the hell the threat was, but there was even an issue where Superman got really pissed and said, you know, don't touch my son or something to that effect. That for me was a, that was a zing, man. That was right up there with seeing him catch the helicopter in Superman, the movie, you know, hmm. I liked that moment. It was Superman 
as father, you know, and I liked it, and it, it really started to grow on me. And then this annual shows up a fucking year late, and the kid's written right off, you know, he's gone. And I'm like, what, what the, what the hell, you know? And if you read it as an entire story, the the last son arc, it pretty much all happened right away. Yeah. So, cause, you know, it's like, so when did they have all that time to bond? Yeah, and I'll agree with you. It's the issues that weren't part of the last son. There was some good story development, but mm-hmm. I think that also comes into that weird paradox of Jeff John Superman right now is that whole it it's a concept that doesn't seem agreeable or doesn't seem right or doable for some reason. Like it doesn't like the kid thing. It was well written, but it can it really work? I don't, I don't know. It's just it's like like you said. Then they wrote him out. So was it ever meant to work? You know, or was it just something? It just seems like an unfulfilled story. Exactly. It comes off as a what was the point, you know? Right. And yeah, that, that's been a lot of my problem with a lot of DC recently is just a lot of their stuff just seems to change midstream. And I keep finding myself going, oh, what was the point of that? You know, it's like, why did I just spend six issues reading that? Or why did I just spend two years reading that when you're just going to go, oh, you know, you know, whatever. And I'm not talking about simple you know, creative team changes. I mean, these are like major, oh, yeah, forget what you know. You know, Wait, you know what it reminds me of? And w- without naming names or getting specific, because I, I don't want to pull us off topic, sure, it sure. reminds me of politics. If you look back at not this last election, but the election before, mm-hmm. there was a politician who pretty much blew whichever way the wind was going. And right. it destroyed him in the end. Yeah. This is kind of what I think is going on with possibly Marvel and DC, but definitely with DC is, I feel you. I, I see what you're saying. And I think maybe they're listening to, I don't know if they're looking at at, at, uh, at forum posts or whatever the hell is going on, but I do get the feeling, like with Countdown. Oh, yeah. I liked that book, but about the time that, it seemed like they started listening a little too much to the bitching that was going on. Mm-hmm. The whole focus changed, and then it sucked. It ended up having a piss-poor ending. But it seems to me that if they'd have stuck to their guns and gone with, uh, gone ahead with whatever they were going with initially, I, I mean, I liked where they were going. I, I was enjoying that a hell of a lot more than I was enjoying 52, which I thought was a fucking mess. You know, but ultimately... Yeah. By changing, what is that expression? Changing horses midstream, midstream yeah. they fucked the whole thing up, and mm-hmm. it made it to where it was unsatisfying for everybody. So I feel you. I, I do get that impression that I don't know what it is. I don't know if they're listening to editorial or if they're listening to, you know, a bunch of geeks bitching on some forum somewhere. I don't know what they're listening to, but I do get that impression. They could be that, hiring people to to you know to go to focus you know focus groups and. No, it could be a whole corporate structure. Yeah, but you see, know? that shit never works, though. You know, when when, no. when you know when you Not when you start our... a story or when you start a political run or whatever, if you suddenly just blow whichever way the wind is blowing, you end up coming off like an asshole, and that's yeah. pretty much what's happened to them with a number of their things, where they sure. go, "Oh my gosh, you know." X amount of people are on this forum bitching and complaining. We we better do something real quick. We better change the ending of this book. That shit is so see-through when it happens. Marvel's done it with several of their last mm-hmm. events. 
and it, it, it destroyed them in the end, you know? Well, because, I mean, because it's like they pussied out right toward the end of whatever they were originally going to do, and it comes off feeling exactly that way. Well, bringing it to Superman, it's yeah. You know, here we are, we're bitching about Superman right now, but I wouldn't want them to. You know, earlier you asked me, you know, where I think it might be going, or if you know, or what I would want out of a out of a resolution of all this stuff going on. And, you know, obviously I didn't have a clear answer for it, but I, what I wouldn't want them to do is just suddenly stop it again and go, okay, well, now we're, no, you know, I want them to just finish what you're doing and take your idea to the whatever logical conclusion that you had for it and then just make it better later, you know? I don't know. I just, yeah, I just wouldn't want them to come in and, and just totally pooch it again because they keep, you know, they keep doing it. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Because when you first started to say that, I, I almost jumped in and said, "No, no, no! I want them to right now just go up. Oh, sorry, fucked up. We, we, you know, stop the whole thing." But no, you, you're right. It would be better just to make them stop altogether. Just stop doing that. <laughs> you know, yeah. let's all agree not to, not not to restart anymore, and uh, yeah, we'll work it from there on. But it sounds like they've tried to do that before. They've decided. Or, well, then they, yeah, I mean, they do try, and then they, I don't know whether it's, I guess it's editors have to approve it, but they just let people come in and go, oh, what if I, what if I add this to it? And, I, you know, a lot of people, I, I read a lot of interviews with Dan DiDio, you know, editor in chief of DC, and so many people give him such a hard time, and I used to as well, but I've come to think of him in a little different light just by kind of looking at some of these decisions apparently uh -huh. that have been made at the company. He strikes me as like the ultimate middle management buddy boss, the one who wants every uh -huh. everybody to he wants everybody to like him and has a lot of trouble saying no to people and whether he honestly believes ideas will work or not, he just I, I could just picture him like sitting in his office and, and someone going, uh, hey Dan, um what if what if we um I, I really like the Silver Age stuff, and I think a lot of people do, too. What if we bring that back? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, sure, sure, you think it'll sell books? Okay. And Grant Morrison walks in, hey, uh, you know, I, I want to do some whack-ass shit with this this, this title, and, uh, you know, I, I want to totally undo everything, and I want my work to be the foundation of the entire DC universe. Oh, yeah, 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 you sell books. Oh, that's great. Okay, sure, Grant, sure, do whatever you want, you know? And then when the shit hits the fan later he's gonna be like oh yeah that was that was always our plan all along and uh you know it just it just comes off he like seems old yeah. enough and intelligent enough to me to realize the old adage that by trying to please everyone you please no one mm -hmm. you know so yeah it, that does frustrate me but i like the guy i mean i don't think he's the great you know i don't think he's satan incarnate i i think that job is uh you know reserved for joe casada <laughs> but uh I think he's trying. I, I, you know, I don't think he he's messing things up intentionally or anything. Um, I don't. Know, and to, and to try to put a positive spin on it, while I have dropped the super books, I never usually, unless they really, I mean, unless this is all irreversible and this is definitely where they're going forward from, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll more than likely at some point, you know, at least check it out again. I am curious. I really want to see what they're going to do with the Secret Origin thing. I don't know that I'll buy it, but I'll definitely read it at some point just to sure. see what's going on and just to be re-familiar with you know, the, the current origins. But if they wanted, for me personally, if they wanted to save it for me, 
basically they could they could pull a you know up oh, sorry fucked up and they could reinstate the burn stuff you know that yeah. I think that's their smartest move at this point unless you know it comes down to a shit or get off the pot mentality yeah either crisis counts or it doesn't mm-hmm. if you're gonna do this with Superman. Which basically null and voids the crisis as far as what was the point of it. Then just undo the whole fucking thing. Sure. You know, you're already undoing Superman, resetting him to a Silver Age style continuity. You've already reestablished at least 52 parallel worlds. Go the whole distance and just say the crisis is undone. The whole para- you know, the whole multiverse is back and we're basically back to where we were you know, uh, mid-1985 when the crisis kicked off. I'm fine with that. If they want to do that, I won't be crazy about it, but I could live with it. But doing... Is it like Coke, Coke Classic? Yeah, kind of. You know, but by doing this half-ass shit where, okay, the crisis happened, but there's 52 parallel universes still out there, and crisis happened, but... Superman sort of reverted to how he was. Nah, fuck mm-hmm. that shit. Yeah, it's, no. it's one or the other. You can't have both because it just it just frustrates the whole thing, you know. Um. <laughs> shit, there was one other. I can't <laughs> think of what. Well, I mean, I'd like to see the whole Chris Kent thing picked back up too. I really would like to see them go go forward. Yeah, if they're not going to go forward with that, at least do something else that progresses the story. Give give Lois and Clark their own natural child. You know, I, yeah. I, I could go for I could really go for that. You know, they you know Marvel kind of pussied out with that with both the, the Hulk and Spider Man. Mm-hmm. And you know, as much as I'm put off by a lot of what's going on, uh, you know, they this isn't one more day for me. Not yet. It's right, right. it could get there, but it's not yet. Um, Franklin Richards never killed the Fantastic Four. I mean, (laughs) there were some great stories, you know, when Byrne was doing Fantastic Four and all throughout that period. You know, they had a kid that that didn't ruin the the series, you know, so it can be done. And uh, I I think one positive thing that that is going to come out of this, and I'll warn DC right now, man, uh, this is your last chance for this shit, so don't fuck it up. I I think they're going to save the Legion of Superheroes. I think they're going to reintegrate it in a way that works and they're going to save that concept. But you know what? You can only reboot that shit so many times to where people just don't give a fuck about it anymore. And I'm at that point. If they fuck it up again, I I mean, I'm done. I, I, will, I will never pick them back up. I love the Legion. But how many times has that book been rebooted oh, in the last 20 years? It's ridiculous. Most people, I think, at this point, honestly, don't give a shit. Because look at how many times it's been canceled in the past mm-hmm. just couple of years. So, but it's still it's still a valid concept. But you got you got to give it back its uh, its relevance. And I think that's part of what's going on with this Superman reboot is trying to give it back. Yeah, you know, and they're trying to tie it back into the Superman family and, and give it its relevance back again. And it, it, I think they could be successful and they, they could actually make that a concept and, and a book that people give a shit about and will actually pick up. But I think they've only got one chance at it. I think if yeah. they if they mess that up again, I think that that's going to be that, you know, the, the end of that, that particular uh, property. 
Well, I've been stockpiling uh, Legion of Three Worlds, and I haven't hit any of them yet. So, uh, oh, you haven't read it yet? No, no, it's on my. Oh three, man, so, I'm yeah. telling you, that's 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 my. I think that's my book of the year right there, as far really? as. Well, I mean, uh, it's only two issues, so it's probably a little premature to say that. Yeah, but still, you know. We'll, we'll get into. We're definitely going to have you back, and we'll get into crisis, a uh, final mm-hmm. crisis, you know, and, and another thing. But I, I'll just tell you. Oh, we could talk about that book for hours. Well, if if you're like me, you know, and, and you were kind of let down by Final Crisis as far as it not feeling like the classic Crisis on Infinite right. Earths, yeah, then Legion of Three Worlds is your book. I'll just okay. leave it at that because that cool. feels like the first Crisis, and that's what I that's what I love about it. I mean, it it's cool. totally feels like the sequel we were promised. So you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. I really yeah. do. Do you mind if I say like one last kind of negative thing about oh, the Superman go titles? Knock uh, yourself I, out, man. <laughs> I, I would I would be remiss if I didn't mention the uh, the Gary Frank art in um, in action these days. Mm-hmm. Now, I I was a fan of Gary Frank back in the you know in the nineties when he was doing Hulk for quite some time. Loved his run on the Hulk. Yep. Uh, liked his Supergirl work, but. He, you know, he has, since time has progressed, changed his style. It's a little scratchier. And when he's doing that scratchy Christopher Reeve, you know, drawn from reality Superman, I just find it fucking creepy. It is very creepy. And I mean, that's a lot of the reason why I had to drop action is just, and I, I know, I mean, I hear... I hear and read people just, oh, the Gary Frank art is just so great. Oh, I so love it. And I I just don't get why. I mean, because nothing to me seems heroic about his art or his layouts. It just seems creepy. And every time I look at, you know, at the Christopher Reeve going, "Uh, he's dead, folks. Get over it. It's not. Yeah. uh, I don't know. It, it, it gives me that, you know, that that same I need to go take a shower feeling I get from some kind of like vertigo books that you mm-hmm. might look at, you know, or like uh, I remember uh, I think it was well after Alan Moore had left Swamp Thing and Al- Alfreda Alcala was doing oh, yeah. art. And that was that kind of art where it just made my hands feel like I needed to go wash mm-hmm. you know, after I was done. And I'm <laughs> with uh, with that Gary Frank art. It's just there's something just I don't know. Just like you say, creepy is the yeah. best word. It it is. It, it's just disturbing somehow. The the women are odd looking. Yeah, there's just something facially that everybody just has sort of a look to yeah. something. You know. They probably all look. Like, it's, he's probably one of those artists who put like makes everybody look a little bit like him. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I'd have to see. Him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But there's yeah, there's something just slightly skeezy and creepy about the art, and I can't yeah, I can't. And, it, and it it just so doesn't match the other Superman titles because you know Superman itself looks. It's I've been happy with the art, you know, in that title and some of the specials. It's been decent stuff, and it's just it's like a totally different character. And no. I don't know there's such a radically different tone to the whole book. Were you digging Superman? pre-infinite crisis um i had only at that point i had dropped it for a little while um and i went back and caught up on most of it and and i didn't 
dislike it. It, I uh, realized it was, I don't know, it was kind of mediocre. I, I liked a couple of the storylines, but it, it wasn't, I didn't find it offensive anyway, but I also didn't find it like, oh, this is the best comic I'm reading right now. Right. So, yeah, I was I'm pretty middle of the road about how it was. So, but, you know, and then again, nothing has really bowled me over post-Infinite Crisis, so. I- well, you know, speaking of Swamp Thing... Um, Scott, we should probably say after this episode, next month, we're going to start talking about Swamp Thing comics yep. here, too. Absolutely. On this very show. <laughs> yep, and our comic, comic Monthly Mondays, we're going to, along with doing uh, our issue-by-issue issue, uh, recaps of uh, The Walking Dead, we'll also be going through... Uh, are we starting with the original, or are we going? We're going to start right with Saga Number One. We're starting with um, Saga Number One, aren't we? I, I thought I thought it was Saga Number One. Okay, sure. yeah. We'll start right with Saga, the Swamp Thing Number One, and that will lead into the uh, the classic Alan Moore stuff. So uh, everybody can join us for that. Um, I think we're we're probably running a little long in this probably one, right, so we're going to wrap about it up. 10 but uh. Uh, Eric, yeah, definitely. Thanks for joining us, man, because I had an absolute blast, and it, it, it's nice to talk to somebody who's who's informed on the subject. And uh... well, seriously, thanks for having me. I mean, it was a lot of fun to do, and you know, if you ever want me back, uh, I'm oh, absolutely. here. Absolutely, well, I definitely I want to do a show on on um, alternate cuts of movies, fan edits. Absolutely, that'd be. Seeing as cool. how you have some personal experience in that. Yeah, I do know a little something matter. about one particular horrible <laughs> movie that got recut. <laughs> but we'll leave that yeah. for another day. Sure. All yeah. I have to say yeah. is bomb, bomb, <laughs> and the movie was a bomb. I think that's a nice tease for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just let me know. You name the time, and absolutely, I'll, I'll fake it. <laughs> well, I, I'd be anxious uh, to get back together and, and talk about uh, about Final Crisis because I imagine you and I are probably on somewhere the same page on that one too. Best book ever. Are you serious? No, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. I'm lying through my teeth. <laughs> Even I could sense the sarcasm there. I bailed after I think it was issue. I bought the first three, but I think I actually only read the first two, and I bailed real quick. I, but I'm not uh, one of these Grant Morrison Kool-Aid drinkers either. No, no I really no. can't stand the fucking guy. So well, I'm giving it a chance, or I gave it a chance. I won't say giving it a chance, um, but I, I'm giving him a chance, and I, I just I'm not liking what I'm what I'm reading for the most part. And talk about your pretentious fucks. I mean. Um, yeah, we'll yeah. talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Hey, have you ever read uh, uh, Arkham Asylum? Yes, yes. I remember. Actually, it was funny listening to you talk about it because, yes, I quite agree that uh, much, much overrated book. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, it's, anybody should have gotten the oh, clue. Oh, you guys are going to have a lot to bitch about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we definitely are. I want to do I a whole see, episode. I can see a bright future of bitching. Yeah. <laughs> I want to start up right episode now. on that because I do not get what uh, fuck is the appeal of that book. I just don't, I don't understand what anybody sees in it. It makes no sense. You will believe a Batman can cry. Oh, Jesus. That scene. Oh. 
After what? Right. It's like after like four words, <laughs> on crying. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. I'm I'm sensing a little negativity uh, on your show. I, I I think I should stay on to like you know keep a positive atmosphere because <laughs> I, I that's just, a good idea. I, yeah. Like a dream catcher. Or yeah. Awesome. We need some oompa loompas in here. Something happy. <laughs> They creep me out. <laughs> they, they roast on a spit really well. <laughs> that's that's one of the very evenly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just don't get a better kids movie than one that you see a chicken being beheaded in a tunnel of candy. All right. On that note, we'll be right back. <laughs> From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie. And there came a day, a day unlike any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered, changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call then, for now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble podcast, available now at avengersassemblepodcast.libsyn.com. Oh, hello. Welcome to the Freak Museum. Why don't you come inside? Yes, watch your step. Yes, come this way. You'll notice to your left a perfectly preserved wild Waffledorfer beast. And over here, we have our newest acquisition. A rare example of the true freak. We've acquired two of them from different parts of the country, no less. Oh, don't worry. They're quite restrained well. Yes, we've sedated them with uh, Back to the Future 1 through 3. They've watched them 84 times, so they're quite harmless. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't get your finger too close to his mouth. He'll snap. Yes, just keep your distance and you're quite safe. But, wait, let me turn this music off. You think that's freaky, huh? Well, listen to this. Welcome back to Two True Freaks. We're, we're back with our Walking Dead segment of the Comics Monthly Monday. And we're here with uh, episode or issue number four with, uh, of uh, Kirkman's Walking Dead. Which starts out with a, with a great, great cover of... I, we're going to assume it's Rick's arm because he's sort of got his police holster and, and a bloody 
blood dripping hand holding a, a pistol facing you know a horde of zombies and he's probably in downtown Atlanta because there's apartment buildings nice a couple red great redneck zombie out in the front with the full beard and Ford t-shirt yeah now I would just like to say that that dude there in the Ford t-shirt he's faking it dude I've seen that guy at the Walmart right <laughs> he's just which is funny because that's gonna come up in this in this episode of uh of the Walmart. oh that's right yeah <laughs> And uh, of course, as as every Walking Dead, it's written by uh, Robert Kirkman, and and this issue's uh, penciled and inked by Tony Moore and, and Gray Tones. And uh, this one starts out with um, Rick and Shane are uh, Shane's, you know, up at night on watch, and Rick comes to talk to him, and they're starting to get into a little argument about whether they should move on or not. Rick is um, thinking that if they don't move on pretty quick you know they're gonna run into some zombies sooner or later and obviously the government's not coming but Shane pretty much believes you know pretty soon the government's gonna step in and we want to be in a and you know in this in this place when it happens so they start to argue about that and you know you can sense a little tension between them and uh in the morning uh Rick wants to uh takes Glenn aside and tells him he wants to go in the city and uh maybe get some guns so uh, they talked to Jim the silent redneck type of guy and uh, he of course knows exactly you know which address to go to to, to get to a gun store so Rick and Glenn decide to set out and um, Lori Rick's wife isn't too happy about it because he's just shown back up after they've figured he was dead and now he's going right back into the zombie central so his, his wife's not too happy about it but you know, Rick's going to do it because, you know, they need they need weapons and ammo. So uh, they're traveling towards the woods, through the woods towards the city, and uh, um, they run into a, a corpse that uh, Rick had seen earlier um, eating a deer. And uh, he gets an idea about how um, Glenn has maybe been getting around in the city and, and why... why the um, zombies won't attack each other and he thinks it might be their smell so they sort of get this guy's clothes and rub them all over he chops off a hand tells Glenn to here you know rub this all over you put it in your pocket you know and they're just rubbing pieces of corpse all over him so they stink like a corpse and uh, they head into the city to test out Rick's theory which seemingly seems to work you know they tested on a sitting zombie who just sort of bats Rick's hand away when he waves it in front of him and they sort of tentatively you know start into the city and start walking by people and they're they're well people I should say zombies zombified people and uh, they're being pretty much ignored so it looks like the zombies if if you smell like a zombie um, you they pretty much treat you like a zombie and and Rick and Glenn don't seem to be shuffling around and they're talking to each other they're not really acting like zombies but you know uh, they come to an intersection and uh, you start to get an idea of some of the carnage that had gone in the previous month you know there's a there's a military tank there that's that's got covered with you know um, either police or, or military guys and you know dead with zombies all around obviously they've been overtaken and they're they're you know mangled and ruined bodies are all over the tank and uh, they're just walking neck deep through zombies there's 
a crowd of zombies and they're just sort of walking through them. Rick grabs a shopping cart to, to fill with guns and uh, takes his axe and uh, they start hacking their way into the gun store. And they, they get in there and uh, fill up their shopping cart with guns and ammo and uh, start heading back. Well, you know, them chopping at the door has sort of attracted a little attention their way. And then when they go outside, it's starting to rain, and it's starting to wash the the, the stank of dead people off them. So uh, after a few seconds, it starts to really come down, and there's zombies all around them, and they start to figure out that this is food and, and not another one of them. So Rick is probably having a flashback of... Uh, of you know earlier when his horse got consumed by these people and they go running through the crowd and uh, the the um, shopping cart spills over and they have to pack in a bunch of their guns and keep going and hack their way through the wall of human flesh and um, just as they're almost out one guy sort of sinks his teeth into into Rick's shoulder and uh, Rick you know polishes him off with his hatchet and uh, off they run, and they've they've gotten out of the city for a while, and Rick stops and rips his jacket off and sees that the bite didn't make it through his leather jacket and padding, so he's sort of relieved and tells Glenn, you know, don't tell my wife how close I came to, to dying. And then uh, back at the camp, we notice Shane sort of hanging out with Lori, who's waiting for Rick, and she's dejected, standing out in the rain, and... Uh, you know, he's saying, don't worry, you know, he came back the first time, he's going to come back again. But then he starts to sort of grab her hand and get a little creepy, telling her, come back to camp, I'll keep you company. And then uh, a lot of the suspicions from the last couple of episodes that have popped up seem to be true because, you know, she sort of says, don't, you know, my husband's alive now. You know, and he says, well, what about the other night when on the road down here? And she said, that night was a mistake that's the end of the episode so it's been sort of confirmed that Laurie may have fooled around on, on Rick while when uh, he was that he bitch was, he thought he was uh, well he, you know she thought he was dead <laughs> in, in, in a time of trial it's the end of the world your husband's dead you know and his best friend's there it's the closest thing he got you know well anyway you know that's for that's for you know the story to that's for Laurie and Kirkman to, to resolve, but, you know, <laughs> it's been sort of hinted at, and Shane's been showing a little bit of jealousy in the last few issues, but now it's clear something happened. You don't know if they had sex, maybe they made out, maybe they were, who knows, but something intimate passed between them, and uh, he was really into it, and she's obviously, you know, regrets it. <laughs> so that could be trouble in the future. That being said, when I was describing this episode, I had to really sort of hold back because I got a couple. This is one of um, I think this is this is a, a a great issue. I think this is where it really starts. You know, all the characters that we have for now that we're gonna on the palette for a while or have been introduced, and uh, you know, we have a little character character turmoil in this issue and some zombie action you know some some pretty hardcore into the city getting surrounded by zombie hardcore action which you know 
is part and parcel of this and what you really want to see. So it's got all, all that sort of work in and it's it's a lot of the major storylines are starting to really come into play now. That being said, I thought it was kind of weird. There's like at the beginning when Rick goes to Glenn, he's, you know, I think he, I don't know what the exact quote is. Maybe I can find it here. He, he says to Glenn, you know, uh, do you know where anywhere where we can get some guns? I want to get some guns. And Glenn looks at him and says, why? You know, what, what, what would you want guns for? Which to me is just like the dumbest question. Okay, here it is. Rick says, uh, when you go into town, have you ever been to a gun store or anything like that? And he says, no, but I never really go that into the city that far. Why do you ask? <laughs> why do you think I ask? You know, why would well, I'm hoping why, they have a, I'm hoping they have a gumball machine. Exactly. By the door. They, I went to a gun store in Atlanta once, and they they had this magazine. And you know, I'm just really nostalgic for it. And you know, I know it's just it's probably it was hanging up on the wall. Or, uh, oh no, you gotta forgive him because that's the same thing as like you know. You know, you, you you have a flat tire with your car, and you're you're sitting there, and you're jacking the car up and taking the tire off, and some dumbass invariably will pull up and go, oh, flat tire, <laughs> huh? flat tire." <laughs> so like, nah, I just felt so, like changing the fucking tires around. You know, it's so, like, duh. Something wrong you know, with keep... your tire there? <laughs> so, so I actually find that to be actually a little more realistic, to b- believe it or not, because people do ask yeah, ignorant and, questions. You and, know, and everybody is, so I would imagine, kind of sleep deprived and punched and disoriented because it's the end of oh, the yeah. world so right but you know yeah I just I thought but here and here's another thing and then we flash forward to when they're at the gun store let's see if I can find the the page here oops alright yeah they're, they're, they're in there and uh Glenn says to Rick what should we get and Rick goes a little of everything as much as can as we can fit in the cart, make sure we get a lot of ammo. And he's just got, like, handful. He's just, like, grabbing handfuls of stuff and throwing it in the cart. And Glenn goes, we need to make sure that we don't grab anything that won't work in the guns right. we get. And he says, yeah, that's a good point. Well, he's the cop. <laughs> he's a cop. <laughs> he's totally trained to use, you know, you, you you know, you've had military experience. Oh, yeah. He's but trained I mean, to I, use it, a gun, you know, that you would... I mean, that's. I mean, I would think of that. I'd be like, you want to get the ammo that matches the guns, or else it's useless. You, both things become useless, you know. So. Holy shit! You know what I just noticed? There is a gumball machine by the door. There is too. a gumball machine. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> Man, I just totally made that up too. Awesome. But no, I, again, I think that can be forgiven by. Oh I mean, yeah. You know, it's the heat of the moment. He, you know, they're all scared shitless. They're not even sure that this thing is going to work. And and I think you know, I, I think the picture is so so perfectly drawn that that Rick really is in the scoop it all up mentality. You know, until Rick or until Glenn points out, well, you know, well, don't get anything we can't use. Yeah. You know, the, the look on Rick's face is like, it is totally a, well, duh, I should have thought of that, you know, type of thing. So, I mean, just because he's a cop and just because he's experienced with guns doesn't make him, you know, infallible or make him, you know, I- immune from some, from making a stupid mistake. So, well, one thing, well, this is early on, and, 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 and the thing I, and I always hate to break, break the, well, the, re- well the, anybody listening knows anyway, you know, I mean, the 
right now the the Walking Dead's are in their 50s, you know, so Kirkman's really, like, the Walking Dead's I'm reading now and have been reading for, like, the last year have evolved quite a bit, you know, but he, what I like about him and, like, Romero's characters and in these zombies movies is they really think practically, you know, they, they right. think like, you know, they think like real people in a, they're, they're level-headed people in a, in a crazy situation. So they really start thinking about how to, to face it, you know, and they, and they're not, they're not the run backwards and trip over a, a vine type of characters. They're the, the proactive take control of the situation type of characters, but not in a cartoony way, in a, in a way, in a practical, pragmatic sort of way and that's what i like because that's i you know basically i think that the the i would like to think the majority of people would act in somewhat that way you know i think a lot of them would run kicking and screaming but those would be the ones that get turned into the zombies <laughs> and start chasing the practical people <laughs> by a certain point you know that's one thing i always think about with zombie movies is usually by the time in a zombie movie you have like most of the population um, turned into zombies, you can almost think of them as being uh, a, a symbol of the masses. You know, they're the slowest and the slow, the weak, the old, the dumb, the the sheep-like. You know, the easily led, the the the, the weaker mentally and physically. That it, you know, those are the ones that have gotten caught and turned into the zombies and. So the you know the people that you have left are the industrious and strong and and lucky, <laughs> or any combination of that. So you always have like these sort of really strong distilled characters, you know, because literally the the pool of characters has been whittled down. <laughs> right. The, the 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 pool of live human characters, anyway, has been whittled down. Uh I really like this issue. You know, I like yeah. it because it's, there's an awful lot of not just character building and world building, but also it's chock full of of um, foreshadowing. Yeah. You know, things that the characters talk about and warn each other about and argue about, you know, play out. It's not just, you know... BS to just fill pages. I mean, a lot of the practical things right. that they're discussing end up coming back to to bite them, you know, in the ass, you know, quite literally with some of the characters. Yeah, actually. Like and, uh, you know, also I think, you know, I mean, the art ha has been solid up to this point. I mean, I've never had an issue with the art, but this, this particular issue, especially the page where Rick and Glenn kind of round the corner and, you know, see the carnage and the big tank sitting yeah. in the street. It, that really defines what, what we had coined before the, uh, the beautiful horror. Cause it is, it's, it's absolutely horrendous to look at yet. You can't look away. It's, it's just, it's, it's just beautiful to look at, but it's just a, a gruesome, gruesome scene. And it captures something that you don't see in zombie movies very often. And it captures it in a non cartoony way which is the way you don't see it in comics that often is the flies of the stench yeah. of, you know, maggots. I mean, and I flies it. and maggots. I mean, they're obviously they're there in zombie movies, but not like as a sort of cloud, like they are here, 
You know, because right. obviously it would be so horrific to work. You you could you probably couldn't get actors to work in union conditions with flies crawling all over unless you could find ways to keep those flies hypoallergenic and sterile. <laughs> so, you know, but yeah, there's just this cloud of flies and, you know, a flood of maggots dripping off and out of people. At, but it's done in a very realistic way. It's not done in an exaggerated, hey, let's see what kind of goofy zombie we can come up with idea. Right. You know, it's like. Yeah, that I like is that, you know, there's all these people in there uh, of different, you know, races and walks of life and everything else. And you might see like like a waitress or something like that or somebody in you know it looked like they might have been uh but you don't see a cheerleader yeah you don't see a clown or or, you know spaceman you know zombies you know it's it's pretty much ordinary people and my my really my only and it's a very extreme nitpick and it really only comes from having read this issue over and over and then re- right. reading it again in preparation for this. So I really – it's a super tiny nitpick, but it, but I just had to point it out is that as I look through all these crowd scenes in Atlanta and, you know, living in this area and being familiar with the makeup of the city and stuff like that, it, it really struck me that – um. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to sound whatever, but I'll just come right out and say it. There's not a whole lot of black people. And – Atlanta is a whole lot of black people, so I was kind of surprised that, you know, maybe it's just because this is black and white and maybe it's tough it's to way, tell. Yeah. And, it's, and you know, they're they're dead, so their skin has has uh, you know mutated, you know, yeah. by being dead and all that. So maybe I'm just not noticing maybe, as many. Maybe stuff. like maybe like you know the white on the like I'm thinking the white on the skin of people is like the sunlight hitting them, right. Because if you look on page, ooh, I think it's 14, the the picture with the tank down right. in the lower left-hand corner, that, that bald guy with the beard, he looks black. Yeah. He's, yeah. Got, he's yeah. got black features. He just sort of – he looks like a black guy. He's sort of dressed like a black guy. But he's, well, the guy you know, right there with white. his face half-eaten off looks like he could be a black guy he, too. He it's t- it's tough to tell. He's got very, but, but yeah. that guy's got like really straight hair. And then that the other guy on the right-hand corner looks like it's one of their buddies or something that they're like, "I'll do a portrait of you," and because he's it's almost like a portrait, you know? Right. It's probably somebody they know that they're like, "I'll make you a zombie." And there's a guy, but there's a guy with uh, dreadlocks in there too. And yeah, his, I saw him his too. Face yeah. is, his face is, you know, like bone white, pretty much. You know. Well, it's just I. I just felt it was worth noting, and and also I, I see, and maybe it's just me, but I see an awful lot of people dressed like your stereotypical redneck, and I know that this is supposed to be Atlanta, and you know, so it's a it's a slightly idealized version. But I, again, I don't think you actually, even though it is Georgia and everything, I don't see think you see a lot of these type of people actually in the no, art of this. You know. Well, I was gonna say Atlanta is a. a- a, a, you know, a city, and and, and cities are are more metropolitan. You know, people right. are, people in you know, I I mean, I've met plenty of people from Atlanta, and you know, I don't think any of them have been stereotypical rednecks or even kind of rednecky to the, you know, uh, I mean, there's just a there's a lot of artists because 
you know, usually the rednecky people stay out of the city and they live in the country. You look on page 18, third panel, that dude right there is right out of, like, deliverance. Right, you know? like, so, does he have, like, overhauls on? And, and his, yeah, yeah, he's got the overalls, he's got the messed up teeth. And, yeah, he, he just looks kind of slightly yeah. off. You know, oh, even yeah. Though he, <laughs> he could be, yeah, you can, he might not be a zombie, he might just be extremely inbred. Hey, Ma! <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ma, Jesus. I like this zombie thing. <laughs> Hey, people sure, just like us. <laughs> sure do have a pretty mouth. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but I, I do. I really do like this issue. I, I like the, the, the threat being ramped up, you know, when the... Well, I prefer, you know... None of these, uh, to my knowledge, none of these stories are actually titled in a, in a typical comic book way. You know, usually right. in comics, you know, a story actually has a, a title, and these aren't titled, but... If I had to title it, I would call this one "I Smell Dead People." So I, I get a kick out of that with the you know the whole thing with using odor to to get around. And I thought it was an ingenious idea to have it you know start raining and Here's you know the smell thing, washes off, so the the threat amps up and all that. I think that's really cool. I don't understand though why I it, and this almost seems like maybe a story element that Kirkman didn't like because he kind of gets abandoned. After this, the whole, you know, if you can, you can walk amongst the corpses if you smell like them, because it would have saved in, in the future of this storyline, a lot of trouble could have been saved by just like putting a, a, a cold, dead hand in your pocket, you know, <laughs> right? But I'm saying, you know, there's, there's, it's sort of that sort of. Because when I saw that, I was like, huh, I've never... Th that was a new thing to the zombie world for me. That, okay, you know, you could you could sort of pretend to be a zombie by smelling like them. Right. And I thought, okay, that's a neat, that's a neat sort of idea. And he sort of drops it after this. Which is weird. That is true. I wonder... I, wonder uh, I guess you could chalk it up to, you know using kind of the you know the marvel no prize you know th uh, kind of uh format of trying to explain away things like this i guess you could explain it away by the fact of it worked but it didn't work you know as soon as they had to go through the whole ordeal with the rain washing off and everything maybe it seemed to lose any practicality to to well, rick and glenn you know to where they they didn't they didn't want to risk it again yeah. because they realized you know all it would take was a good you know, a good dousing, and and you know, it was all for naught. Or I don't, I don't know. I mean, I have to know. I have to note it down in my in my little future reference book because I I, I really we really can't talk about it too because uh, we really we sort of swore at the beginning of this that we wouldn't go ahead and, and yeah no I don't spoil, spoil any ahead. further further episode issues of this. So, but you know, I mean. We could bring out, you know, we could. I could just start naming situations from the future where where it could have been very beneficial oh, to, to be all smelled up like a corpse, you know. <laughs> so, I'm yeah. actually surprised that I liked that idea so much because one of the one of the things that going into that, you know, everybody has their preconceptions on what you know the the zombie can or can't. It's do. like it's. Yeah, it's it's kind of like vampires, you know. Everybody yeah. has their different preferences for vampire lore and vampire movies and right. books and stuff like that. And I'm really rigid when it comes to stuff like that. 
And with the zombie thing, I prefer to think... Like in Dawn of the Dead, I always got a vibe that the, that the whole zombie thing had to do with... For lack of a better term, with the supernatural. That what caused it and what sustained it and the reason, what motivated the, the, the creatures and what drove them and, and their sixth sense for going to the mall and going after the people and not being able to tell each other apart and not necessarily attacking each other or trying to eat their fellow zombies. It all had to do with the supernatural, that that they didn't smell each other or anything like that, that it was all, yeah, you know, it just, was all... Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were like, it was like voodoo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's where I was going to say, came you know, from. lack of a better term, you know, but yeah, exactly. You know, that it was all, you know, hell derived kind of thing. You know, it, it was more of a supernatural occurrence rather than a scientific one, you know, a la, you well, know, Resident Evil or something like that. Well, you know? in, in Night of the Living Dead, there was like a reference on the, on the TV to uh, a satellite crashing, right. some weird thing with a satellite. Or the satellite or had, yeah, the satellite had passed through, you know, uh, a comet tail or something, and then came down. And but that could have been just, you know, that could be a red herring. You know, that could have been just like, you know, that could be written off. I'm sure he really didn't want to explain it for any way. Oh, but no, I, I don't. Mean, the tagline, the tagline tag for Dawn of the Dead was when there's no more, no room more room in, in hell. hell. That was all the explanation I needed too. Yeah, you know, that was exactly, that was the thing I liked about that movie. That was all the explanation I felt you needed in that movie was, like you say, when there's no more room in hell, the dead would walk the earth. The and and I think that earth. that's perfect. That That's all you need. That's all I ever want in in Walking Dead. You know, I mean, it, it, yeah. it, it gets teased here and there in later issues. And I hope that that he sticks to his guns and and never does give us a reveal because I I, I you know I think here's, you don't need it. Here's what I think about Kirkman though, and uh, I, whatever might sound like I'm kissing his ass, but really as a writer and I've you know I do a lot I've always I've been reading since I was like three years old I'm just I love to read, and he's one of the few readers or writers of. A continuing genre thing or any kind of horror writer at all who's been just consistently good you know he has not you know I mean I'm a fan of Stephen King I like always loved reading Stephen King books but I've read some books where you know by the end of it I'm just like oh really buddy what the hell are you thinking you know how the what what <laughs> You know, right. it's just terrible, but uh, n never with this, and that's um, that's amazing. You know, I mean, ev nobody is. I'm not saying that he's a perfect writer. I can obviously find little flaws in it, but he really doesn't. Uh, he really plays it as close to you know. Once you get past the premise of there's zombies walking around, he really plays it close to the bone of real of how reality plays out. And whereas, you know, things don't play out like a storyline necessarily. There are storylines that run through it that sort of begin and end and, you know, little threads that, that happen and cycles. But that's just like life, you know. But things, 
things can be heading in one direction and then all of a sudden everything changes and everything's heading in a different direction or or there's you know there's an exchange between people that doesn't seem right but once you think about it you know it's just very very well thought out and very few especially people who write genre types horror zombie stories very few few people really aspire to that so you know every time a new issue comes it's like a triumph every time a new issue comes out and there isn't a part of it where I'm going oh god or where there is something where you're going oh god I don't like where this is going he has enough of the same you know maybe it's just that my taste in storytelling is exactly like Kirkman's <laughs> or close enough to where you know anything that I would you know be like oh that's really sucks he would think the same thing so it avoids a lot of that maybe that's just why it's so chocolatey delicious for me I don't know but uh <laughs> It has not well, just, done me wrong. You've definitely just amped up the uh, the whole thing with our reviews of The Walking Dead because, uh, you know, while I'm a big fan and I, I really, you know, I, I'm enjoying this book. It's, you know, it's my consistently my, my top of the pile uh, read, you know, every every new comic day and all that. Now I'm I'm really going to have to make an extra effort to to point out the stuff where <laughs> I think stumble because I, I, I you know, there there there's not a lot of them. But every once in a while, every few issues, there there are little things where I go, oh, little I didn't groaners. like that. Or yeah. I think he kind of fumbled the ball or what. And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm now now you got me itching to talk about them, but I'll have to wait and just try to remember to point them out as they come along. Uh -huh. But like I say, you know, I teased you know early on that there was there was one event, and we're getting closer to it. It's a few more issues, but there was one event that if it had gone. A particular way, I would not be reading this title today. I mean, it pissed me off that bad, or, or well, I'd say it had the potential to piss right. me off bad. That I was like, nope. If I come back from this cliffhanger and it's gone this way, then that's it. I'm off the book. So uh, I'll, I'll just tease it again that that that's out there. You see, I but, think uh, he's one of those writers who does this does that thing where they'll sometimes make you think they're going in a direction that's going to be like a trite or predictable or it just gets you to roll your eyes and then they and then they will purposely put it do something different than you know they'll use that to sort of throw you off center to get you expecting something else happening you know he's he definitely likes i mean he's definitely a big fan of manipulating his readers <laughs> And, and, and uh, manipulating their emotions and you know the, I mean the key way he does it is with his um, um, teasers at the end you know his single frame that teases the next issue you know he, right. he, he always makes him look like something just horrible is gonna you know he he sets up just you know he sets up stuff in your mind that's just insane i remember there was one a couple months ago that that had you going like oh man <laughs> <laughs> well anything yeah. else about this particular issue no not really i i enjoyed it too you know i just complained about it just because i feel that we have to 
complain about some things at some point, you know. No, I can't. I can't complain about this, and I, I think this is one of the the finest issues of the of the early, you know, the early part of the saga. This this is one of my particular favorites. I, I really enjoy this one, and I, I like it because it's not it's not particularly action packed or action filled or whatever. I, I like it because it just it sets up so much, and it and it's just chock full of of foreboding it and, has and the atmosphere it has yeah. all the atmosphere of a zombie story and that's what i like you know mm-hmm. a dead cities and you yep. know foreshadowing of doom and you know gathering up weapons <laughs> it's, it's well, on just... that on that note the next issue is uh is this one just Cranked up, cranked up, yeah. The very next level. I mean, the the next one really. Things start to go south, and I'll just leave it there. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. If you if you liked this issue, the next one will just blow you away. So, so that's the Walking Dead number five. Next time, yeah, on Two True Freaks, and we'll see you in the next episode, which will be a free for all episode, Uh-oh. which uh, I think will be Grill the Freaks. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail dot com. And thanks for listening to the 2TrueFreaks podcast. 2TrueFreaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.